the December 2023 edition of GCM On The Go. This month's reading is brought to you by Ultimate Chemicals. Ultimate Chemicals is the number one chemical and services resource for natural gas compression. Based in Moore, Oklahoma, Ultimate Chemicals produces its products right here in the U.S. The company offers a wide range of products specifically designed for the natural gas industry, including its renowned badass degreaser and the number one cooler cleaner, CC300. Ultimate Chemicals offers the most complete line of cooling system flushes. Ultimate Chemicals has the first and only online store featuring all their products for sale directly from ultimatechemicals.com in sizes ranging from one gallon to a 250 gallon tote. Ultimate Chemicals provides several on-site and in-place services for external fin fans, internal chemical circulation, and a variety of custom formulated chemical circulations for natural gas pipelines and gas plants. Visit ultimatechemicals.com to learn how Ultimate Chemicals can get your coolers clean while saving you time and money. That's ultimatechemicals.com. This episode is also sponsored by Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary. With more than 2,000 words and 200 illustrations, Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary is designed to help users quickly define and understand frequently used words within the rotating machinery industry. This resource is perfect for anyone needing to identify equipment, processes, and components. Learn more at canesdictionary.com. Now, on to the stories. World's Largest LNG Storage Tank Enters Operation by Daniel Felber. China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation has officially put China's first and largest liquefied natural gas storage tank of 9.5 million center cubic feet into service at its Qingdao LNG receiving terminal. The tank will add 58.3 million center cubic feet of storage capacity to meet the gas demand of 2.16 million households for five months during the winter heating season. The mega LNG storage tank independently designed, developed, and built by Sinopec, has a diameter of 330 feet and a height of 180 feet, a key project of Sinopec Qingdao LNG Receiving Terminal's Phase 3 construction. The tank adopted 17 patented technologies with independent intellectual property. The main structure was completed in only 18 months, and it's in full service within 27 months. In the construction process, Sinopec has localized the applications of 20 core pieces of equipment that significantly reduced procurement costs and boosted the localization level of the tank to 95%, the highest in China. On November 2nd, Sinopec's Tingjin LNG receiving terminal completed the phase two construction with three 7.8 million center cubic feet storage tanks coming into full service, adding more than 14 billion center cubic feet of natural gas storage capacity to bring the total storage capacity of Tingjin terminal to 38 billion center cubic feet, the largest in China. Sinopec's two LNG terminals in Qingdao and Tingjin with seven and nine storage tanks respectively, have a total of 59.3 billion center cubic feet of storage capacity, further guaranteeing the supply of resources in the winter season. Sinopec has continued to expand natural gas storage capacity following a strategic plan covering the full scope of production, supply, storage, and sales. The group now has about 176.6 billion center cubic feet of LNG storage capacity. Sinopec has built 12 natural gas storage depots, including the Zongyang cluster, Jingtan, Win96, and Jingyang Yangqiu, and is expanding the LNG receiving terminals in Tingjin and Qingdao. Looking ahead, Sinopec aims to build more natural gas storage depots and LNG receiving terminals in China to further strengthen the natural gas storage and peak gas consumption adjustment capabilities and expand LNG storage capacities during its five-year plan. Texas RNG plant begins generating D3 RIN credits. 
Digester at Del Rio Dairy in Texas is producing ultra-low carbon RNG available for transportation market by Walter E. Von Rees. Clean Energy Fuels Corporation and Total Energies announced that renewable natural gas from Del Rio Dairy in Friona, Texas began flowing in June to the transportation market and recently began generating D3 renewable identification number credits under the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Renewable Fuel Standard, as well as credits through Oregon's Low Carbon Fuel Standard Program. The RNG produced at Del Rio Dairy and injected into the country's natural gas pipeline system represents a major milestone in clean energy strategy to produce and sell a fuel that is so clean the California Air Resources Board gives it an average carbon intensity rating of negative 331. The demand for RNG is only increasing, said Clay Corbis, Senior Vice President of Renewables at Clean Energy. There is no easier or immediate way for fleets to achieve their goals to reduce carbon emissions than transitioning their trucks, buses, or other large vehicles to RNG. Turning the challenge of managing manure at large dairies like Del Rio Dairy into something positive like an ultra-low carbon fuel is a huge win for all parties. Clean Energy broke ground at the Del Rio Dairy Biogas Digester in November 2021, completed construction in February 2023, and stored the RNG produced until regulatory approval in June. Del Rio Dairy is the first low-carbon intensity RNG project completed by Clean Energy and was financed through a joint venture between Clean Energy and Total Energies. The multi-generational family-owned and operated dairy has 7,500 milking cows. According to the EPA, agriculture accounts for nearly 10% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions and the transportation sector accounts for another 28%. Capturing methane from farm waste lowers these emissions. RNG produced by captured methane and used as a transportation fuel significantly lowers greenhouse gas emissions on a life cycle basis when compared to diesel. This allows RNG to be one of the only fuels to receive a negative carbon intensity score based on the reduction of emissions at the source and at the vehicle. The Rise of the Energy on Demand Industry, a conversation with Sapphire Gas Solutions CEO Sam Thigpen by Daniel Felber. Renewable natural gas is produced from municipal solid waste landfills, wastewater, food waste, and cow manure. RNG can be made by capturing biogas and then cleaning and conditioning it to remove or reduce carbon dioxide and other non-methane elements that would otherwise be released into the atmosphere. After this process is complete, RNG can serve as a drop-in replacement for fossil natural gas creating a renewable fuel source without the need for infrastructure improvements or alterations. There's just one problem, inefficient market dynamics. The issue isn't the effectiveness of RNG, it's the cost and lack of supply. RNG is magnitudes more expensive than fossil natural gas, making subsidies and credits necessary to bridge the cost gap. The current RNG market is a game of paper trading credits because many RNG projects are still years away from coming online or are bogged down by permitting and regulatory hurdles that are only getting harder to clear. The RNG that is available is tied to long-term contracts, leaving little to no readily accessible supply. Sapphire Gas Solutions serves a wide range of industries by providing compressed natural gas and liquefied natural gas fueling for utilities and local distribution companies, asphalt and aggregate production facilities, pipeline integrity projects for operators, winter peak shaving operations for capacity or pressure issues, and supplemental gas supply for commercial or industrial customers, including electric generation plants. Sapphire's wheelhouse is ensuring the safe delivery of CNG or LNG when pipeline infrastructure is constrained or not available through virtual pipeline solutions and off-pipe applications. Using CNG or LNG instead of expensive waste fuel oil, propane, or diesel can save operators money and reduce the carbon footprint of an energy-intensive project. Sapphire's customers are seeking liquefied or compressed RNG instead of fossil-based LNG and CNG to reduce their emissions even further. 
When we get RNG requests from customers, we explain to them that we have to go into certain markets to get their credits available, said Sam Thickman, Chief Executive Officer of Sapphire Gas Solutions. Without the credits available, the cost can be very prohibitive. Once some customers hear that, they back off. More and more people want to use RNG because it's sustainable and it has a low carbon intensity score, but they can't pay $20, $50, or $70 per MSCF for the fuel gas when NYMEX gas is $3 per MSCF. We've brought this issue up to some members in Congress in various meetings that we've had the opportunity to have. There are credits given out to the transportation market for RNG, but the big industrials that can consume enormous amounts of gas don't have any credits. Compared to a trucking company, a big industrial has zero incentive to use RNG. In my opinion, and there's no data to back this up besides the fact I talk to people in the industry every day, if you're targeting trucks and trucks can't get gas motors fast enough from the manufacturers, then they can't change their fleets over to use natural gas. The RNG industry is in limbo. Everyone wants RNG, but only if they can get the credits. If credits are constrained to the transportation industry and not industrial customers, then demand is siloed into a single industry. The concentration of credit usage makes RNG demand artificially low. A typical RNG project can cost $20 million or $30 million, given the digesters and process equipment, said Thinkman. How are you going to get the capital to build out that infrastructure if the only way you can use the gas is through the transportation industry? Meanwhile, asphalt plants are burning millions and millions of gallons of LNG a year that could convert to RNG if they could get those credits. Many more development projects could be funded with long-term offtakes. While the RNG credit market works itself out, another area of promise outside the transportation industrial markets is utilities. The utility sector has begun integrating RNG into their traditional gas streams, which drives increased demand. When you have these big long-term offtake agreements with utilities, then the gas isn't going to a fueling station, said Thigpen. I just think there are countless applications for RNG. People are interested, but there's no incentive to use it if it's not in transportation right now just because of the way the credit market is. Immediate impact. Despite the present challenges, the long-term future for RNG is bright. In the meantime, there's a lot of progress that can be made with LNG and CNG. In 2005, when I started Thickman Energy, now Sapphire, we were a pipeline service company on the instrumentation and communication side, said Thickman. I started on the technical side of the business, putting in electronic flow meters and radio communicators to get data back to offices. In 2012, we did our first virtual pipeline project for the port of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We trucked in LNG because their pipeline was going to go down. They called us and asked us to bring them LNG tankers from Houston. We were supposed to be there for four or five days, but it ended up being 40-something days. It was then I realized the huge need for energy on demand, and we started the transition. Prior to that, we had been fueling drilling rigs and frack pumps with natural gas. We got into that by default through building CNG stations. People knew we were in that market, so we got a lot of inbound calls when the business was hot back in the early 2010s. When the oil and gas downturn hit in 2015, I realized the pipeline support business had no downturn. They have pipe in the ground, and they're going to flow gas 24-7. They don't care what the commodity price is because they already have it locked in. They have long-term contracts. That's when we shifted to the virtual pipeline business we have today and added RNG in late 2020. Expecting the unexpected. Sapphire's business is a bet on the growth of the energy on demand industry, something that isn't talked about nearly enough. Mortgage interest rates in the United States are currently approaching 8%, the highest in more than 20 years. A big reason for the spike is regional population booms, particularly in cities along the Sun Belt. According to U.S. Census data, the top 10 largest areas of population growth over the last year are all in Sun Belt metropolitan areas. They are, in order, Dallas Fort Worth, Houston, Atlanta, Phoenix, Orlando, Austin, Tampa, Charlotte, San Antonio, and Jacksonville. When population growth outpaces existing infrastructure, it creates a resource deficit, including lack of roads, highways, bridges, housing, water, energy, schools, hospital, grocery stores, etc. Sapphire is positioned to fill the energy void while permanent infrastructure takes time to catch up.
The same dynamic exists in commercial and industrial situations too. Anytime there is an unexpected surge in a region's economy, which can be correlated to a population increase, a technological achievement, a new industry or innovation, etc., chances are existing energy supply is ill-prepared to support the economic growth. Sapphire can step in and provide energy on demand when existing infrastructure can't handle the job, maintenance is occurring on existing infrastructure, or something goes wrong and a temporary solution is needed to supplement the shortfall. The energy on demand industry is going to continue to be more important and grow, said Thickpen. I think energy on demand absolutely fits the population growth narrative. A good example is residential housing. We work with the developers and utility companies to go in and bring gas as they're building the first houses because they don't have the pipeline installed or the utility lines to service the homes with gas, or they don't have enough demand to justify putting the gas in. They use our services for the initial gas supply for the first 30 to 50 homes while they're building out their utility infrastructure. This trend, coupled with commercial growth, exceeds current infrastructure where land is still being developed. Urban sprawl is a big part of what we deal with. We're looking at a project right now in Rhode Island where there's a large cold food storage facility, continued Thickpin. They move cold food using refrigerated trucks in and out of a large warehouse. Their business has grown so much in that region because people are leaving the big city and coming out to some of these other areas. Now they need to expand their warehouse. They went to their power and gas utility and talked about this expansion project, and both utilities told them, you can expand all you want to, but you're not getting any more power and you're not getting any more gas. The growth of a business in an industry we don't normally think about, like cold food storage, is being hindered by a utility that can't provide the power they need. Two years ago, the cold food storage company asked if we could bring power generation in the form of LNG or CNG for the expansion. After permitting and planning delays, they finally came back to us just about a month or two ago and said they want to move forward with LNG or CNG idea. I think we're going to see a lot more situations like this. Over time, infrastructure will come along, and then we'll move to the next underserved region. That's the advantage of what we do. We can pick up and move to where we are needed. Unsung heroes. Environmentally impactful initiatives can conjure images of rolling hills sprinkled with solar farms, electric vehicles, and protecting ecology. However, there are many concerted efforts that go largely unnoticed. We drive on roads every day, but rarely think of the carbon footprint of asphalt production. The environmental, social, and governance movement has rippled through the asphalt plant industry, said Thickpin. If they're not on a pipeline or connected to pipeline gas, they have to burn diesel, fuel oil, or propane, which have higher emissions than LNG or CNG. Most plants have historically burned refined fuel oil because it's cheap and recycled. They take fuel oil out of equipment and recycle it, and then burn it for fuel. It's very dirty. It's also very cheap. The asphalt industry has been a great study in the ESG and emissions reduction space. We service more than 60 asphalt plants today. Most of them didn't really have any driver from the community to clean their emissions up because everybody thought, well, it's asphalt. That's the way it is. It had been forgotten about. Industries like asphalt are often overlooked when considering ESG. Even the carbon footprint is severe. It isn't public backlash that has propelled the industry to change, but rather consolidation and the trickle-down effects of corporate ESG targets. There are a couple of instances where communities were pushing back on the diesels and fuel oils, but the big driver for them is economics, said Thickpin. They needed something that's cheaper. LNG is typically cheaper than diesel, but nothing can beat the price of refined fuel oil or recycled fuel oil. We can't even beat that price. The individual plants didn't have a lot of drive to clean their emissions up. Over the last few years, we have seen conglomerates buy independent asphalt producers and transition them into corporate environment. This process launches sustainability initiatives and instills corporate pressure to clean up emissions. Retiring coal-fired power plants in favor of natural gas and renewable power generation has been a rapidly accelerating movement across the United States. But what happens when the sun doesn't shine and the feedstocks required to run natural gas power plants aren't available? Not long ago, the West Virginia winter was particularly brutal. Sapphire stepped in and provided the gas necessary for the startup of a coal-fired power plant. The power generation industry has been yet another industry that has been embracing lower emission solutions, said Thickpin. Less than a decade ago, 
We would have conversations with power generator rental companies that were buying a few natural gas generators. They would allocate a small portion of their budget to add gas equipment to their fleet, but they still believed that diesel was their bread and butter. Fast forward, and with so many emissions requirements, sustainability efforts, and goals, there are a lot of places that prefer natural gas over diesel. It's common to bring in a mobile generator when you can't connect to a pipeline for fuel, especially for an event like motorsports or anything like that. It's important to generator rental companies to understand that service companies like us can deliver the fuel quantities needed to support megawatts worth of power. At the same time, it's so easy to pick the phone up and call the local distributor for diesel. The distributor is going to show up in an hour. With natural gas, there's considerably more logistics and planning that goes into it. It's taken a few years to get the power generation companies comfortable with that, but it can be done with the right logistics planning. It's not as simple as just picking up the phone and calling the diesel guy, but working on getting there. I would say asphalt and power generation are probably two of the biggest ESG-related drivers to what we're doing, as far as fueling is concerned. We got into doing it because it was cleaner. There's always a price game. It's much more of the cleaner aspect in those two industries for sure, but price is still a big component. Bigger and better. As Sapphire has grown, so have the scope and scale of its projects. Projects are huge now, said Thickpin. Ten years ago, we could have delivered gas to virtual pipeline projects that would have been maybe 5,000 homes a day in gas flow equivalent. Now we're doing projects that can fuel half a million homes per day by trailer. For us, it changed in 2018 and 2019 when we got our national grid contract in New York and built the first site in Riverhead, New York to inject CNG in the wintertime for winter peak shaving during a winter storm. Back then, the industry wasn't comfortable doing big gas volumes by truck and all the risk and coordination that went into it. Once we got the national grid contract, it opened a lot of doors for us to be creative and show how to use virtual pipeline solutions. Technology and logistics planning can support any mobile solution. The biggest change for us over the last few years is that projects have gotten bigger and more complex. Each year, we've had a new record-sized project that we've done for gas and delivered in a short period of time. That shows me that customers are looking at virtual pipeline solutions as a viable solution instead of the only solution that's available. Last year, Sapphire added pipe-to-pipe compression and pipeline evacuation services to its portfolio. Now that we have gotten into the compression business and are doing mobile compression, we are seeing the extent that these projects are changing too, said Thickpin. Historically, they would pump the line down to whatever their pressure was, 50 or 100 PSI, whatever the lowest they could get it to. Then we would leave and accept the limit. Now we're able to get line pressures down under 5 PSI. We're getting so much more of the gas out of the line that doesn't have to get flared or vented to the atmosphere. The big change is that we are normalizing getting more gas out of the line, which means that operators can now plan a project around getting much more gas out of a pipeline and having less pressure left in there to vent or flare. We did a huge compression project earlier this year. We used all eight of our units and evacuated 160 MSCF of gas in eight days. That was an impactful project because we proved the sheer scale of our fleet's capability. Last spring, we provided pipeline support for utility. In two to three weeks, we ended up being the gas supply for 16 communities in Central Texas. This episode is sponsored by Ultimate Chemicals. Ultimate Chemicals is the number one chemical and services resource for natural gas compression. Based in Moore, Oklahoma, Ultimate Chemicals produces its products right here in the U.S. The company offers a wide range of products specifically designed for the natural gas industry, including its renowned badass degreaser and the number one cooler cleaner, CC300. Ultimate Chemicals offers the most complete line of cooling system flushes. Ultimate Chemicals has the first and only online store featuring all their products for sale directly from ultimatechemicals.com in sizes ranging from one gallon to a 250 gallon tote. Ultimate Chemicals provides several on-site and in-place services for external fin fans, internal chemical circulation, and a variety of custom-formulated chemical circulations for natural gas pipelines and gas plants. Visit ultimatechemicals.com to learn how Ultimate Chemicals can get your coolers clean while saving you time and money. That's ultimatechemicals.com. 
This episode is also sponsored by Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary. With more than 2,000 words and 200 illustrations, Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary is designed to help users quickly define and understand frequently used words within the rotating machinery industry. This resource is perfect for anyone needing to identify equipment, processes, and components. Learn more at canesdictionary.com. Now, back to the reading. Hydrogen Report, 7 for 7. DOE announces $7 billion for seven regional hydrogen hubs by Daniel Felber. After more than a year of deliberation, the U.S. Department of Energy has selected seven regional hydrogen hubs that will split $7 billion in funding as a result of the bipartisan infrastructure law. The initial applicant pool was narrowed down from 79 candidates to 33 in December 2022. Full applications were accepted in April 2023. At the time, the DOE said it would choose 6 to 10 winners to accelerate the domestic market for low-cost, clean hydrogen. Hydrogen is a key component of the DOE's goals to strengthen energy security, bolster domestic manufacturing, create healthier communities, and deliver new jobs and economic opportunities across the nation. However, the $7 billion in regional hydrogen hub funding is merely one aspect of the broader U.S. national hydrogen strategy. This article will discuss how the many U.S. hydrogen programs fit together, the details of each hydrogen hub, hydrogen economy challenges, opportunities for hydrogen compression, and the coordination needed between public and private industry for U.S. hydrogen to enjoy sustainable growth over the next several decades, years in the making. The DOE's approach toward clean hydrogen has transitioned from an ill-defined idea to an officially stated policy. The DOE now has several initiatives designed to bring together stakeholders to help drive down the cost of advanced hydrogen production, transport, storage, and use across multiple sectors in the economy. The unprecedented positive federal support for the hydrogen economy is having sweeping ripple effects across the energy, utility, industrial, and technology sectors. In June 2021, the DOE released its Energy Earthshots Initiative, with the goal to develop programs across the DOE's Science, Applied Energy Offices, and Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy to address tough technological challenges and cost hurdles and rapidly advance solutions to help achieve climate and economic competitiveness goals. Even more important than energy earthshots were topics discussed at the DOE's Hydrogen Program Annual Merit Review and Peer Evaluation Meeting. During this time, the DOE's Hydrogen Program conducted a feasibility study and risk assessment for potential hydrogen hubs based on existing infrastructure, job creation, benefits for disadvantaged communities, hydrogen cost reductions, carbon emissions reductions, end-user access, and the advancement of science and innovation. The DOE then issued a request for information on viable hydrogen demonstrations, the first project under Energy Earth Shots was the Hydrogen Shot program. The goal of Hydrogen Shot is to bring the cost of green hydrogen down to $1 per kilogram by 2031, an 80% reduction from 2021 levels. Hydrogen Shot is part of the broader DOE goal to create a 100% electric grid by 2035 and to have net zero U.S. emissions by 2050. In many ways, the efforts of Hydrogen Shot, as well as the request for information issued by the DOE's Hydrogen program, was a precursor to the DOE's much larger hydrogen initiatives. In June 2022, one year after the launch of the Energy Earthshots program, the DOE's hydrogen initiatives took a leap forward with the passing of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law's $8 billion program to develop regional hydrogen hubs across America. In September 2022, the United States outlined its National Clean Hydrogen Strategy and Roadmap. It is supported by the Clean Hydrogen Standard, Inflation Reduction Act tax incentives, and coordination between the United States and Mexico to build out the clean hydrogen supply chain across North America. As we enter 2024, the hydrogen hub idea has transitioned from a mere budget line item to a nationwide effort to bring the United States to the forefront of the global hydrogen economy. At the same time, 
There's continued funding for existing hydrogen programs like Hydrogen Shot, as well as newer programs. For example, the DOE is allocating an additional $1 billion toward the Clean Hydrogen Electrolysis Program and $500 million for clean hydrogen manufacturing and recycling activities, the tip of the iceberg. The White House believes the seven selected regional clean hydrogen hubs will catalyze more than $40 billion in private investment and create tens of thousands of good-paying jobs, bringing the total public and private investment in hydrogen hubs to nearly $50 billion. Roughly two-thirds of total project investment are associated with green, electrolysis-based production within the hubs. Several of the hubs were developed in close partnerships with unions, with three requiring project labor agreements. Collectively, the hubs aim to produce more than 3.31 million tons of clean hydrogen per year, achieving nearly one-third of the 2030 U.S. clean hydrogen production goal of 11.02 million tons. Through technological strides and scale, the hubs should help to reduce the cost of green hydrogen production. Together, the seven hydrogen hubs will eliminate 27.56 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions from end uses each year, an amount roughly equivalent to combined annual emissions of more than 5.5 million gasoline-powered cars. The DOE said the nearly $50 billion investment is one of the largest investments in clean manufacturing and jobs in history. Clean hydrogen can reduce emissions in many sectors of the economy and is especially important for hard-to-decarbonize sectors and industrial processes, such as heavy-duty transportation and chemical, steel, and cement manufacturing. Targeted investments in these areas can help reduce costs, make new breakthroughs, and create jobs for American engineers, manufacturing workers, construction workers, and others. Regional Clean Hydrogen Hubs The $750 million Mid-Atlantic Hydrogen Hub is located in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey. The $925 million Appalachian Hydrogen Hub is located in West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. The $1.2 billion California Hydrogen Hub is located in California. The $1.2 billion Gulf Coast Hydrogen Hub is located in Texas. The $925 million Heartland Hydrogen Hub is located in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. The $1 billion Midwest Hydrogen Hub is located in Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. The $1 billion Pacific Northwest Hydrogen Hub is located in Washington, Oregon, and Montana. Other DOE hydrogen efforts. In total, the bipartisan infrastructure law allocates $65 billion in clean energy investments for the DOE, including $8 billion for the Regional Clean Hydrogen Hubs program. As mentioned, around $7 billion is going directly to the hubs. Up to $1 billion of the remaining funding will be used for demand-side support for the hubs to drive in uses of clean hydrogen. The hubs are covered under the Justice 40 initiative, which aims to ensure 40% of the overall benefits of certain federal investments flow to disadvantaged communities that are marginalized by underinvestment and overburdened by pollution. Hubs have also submitted detailed community benefit plans, including how the project performers will transparently communicate, eliminate, mitigate, and minimize risks. The DOE has announced other resources to support clean hydrogen research and development. The new Hydrogen Hub Matchmaker resource is helping clean hydrogen producers, end users, and others find opportunities to develop networks of production, storage, and transportation infrastructure. As mentioned, the DOE is already allocating $1 billion toward its clean hydrogen electrolysis program. Electrolysis, using electricity to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, allows for clean hydrogen production from carbon pollution-free power sources like wind, solar, and nuclear. This program aims to improve the efficiency and cost-effectiveness of these technologies by supporting the entire innovation chain, from research, development, and demonstration to commercialization and deployment. The DOE is allocating $500 million for clean hydrogen manufacturing and recycling activities. The DOE is also supporting American manufacturing of clean hydrogen equipment, including projects that improve efficiency and cost-effectiveness and support domestic supply chains for key components through the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law's Clean Hydrogen Manufacturing Initiative. 
The DOE has also announced funding as part of the Clean Hydrogen Technology Recycling Research, Development, and Demonstration Program for approaches to increase the reuse and recycling of clean hydrogen technologies. In March 2023, the DOE announced the first phase of funding for the Clean Hydrogen Electrolysis Program in manufacturing and recycling initiatives with a $750 million funding opportunity to reduce the cost of electrolyzers and other clean hydrogen technologies. The Department of Energy Loan Programs Office has also completed investments in clean hydrogen facilities. Challenges facing the hydrogen economy. The primary goal of programs like Hydrogen Shot and the seven hydrogen hubs is to reduce the cost of hydrogen to make it economically and environmentally competitive. As the hydrogen economy grows, hydrogen compression demand will increase. Developing lower cost compression will be essential for making the hydrogen economy a reality. The DOE has completed several helpful studies that discuss the importance of reducing hydrogen costs. The National Renewable Energy Laboratory, at the request of the DOE, conducted an independent review of hydrogen compression, storage, and dispensing, or CSD, for pipeline delivery of hydrogen and four-quart hydrogen production. The study found that CSD hydrogen costs for a pipeline scenario were about $2.40 per kilogram. Around 75% of those costs, or $1.54 per kilogram, came from compression alone, while the other 25% of costs came from storage, dispensing, cooling, and other. A separate study by the DOE involving costs and performance targets for hydrogen delivery and process technologies detailed the ways compression costs must come down to reduce delivery costs associated with distributed and centralized hydrogen production. Technical targets for hydrogen delivery components forecasted a 25% reduction in total capital investment for transmission pipelines between the DOE's 2020 target and its ultimate target, and a 39% reduction in total capital investment for pipeline distribution from truck and service lines. The DOE's ultimate target is based on 15% hydrogen market penetration. The DOE said the specific scenario it examined assumes central production of hydrogen that serves a city with a population around 1 million and that the fueling station average dispensing rate is 1,000 kilograms per day. The cost reductions demanded from pipeline, terminal, and geologic storage compressors were far greater than pipeline transmission and distribution. The DOE is targeting a 50% reduction in uninstalled capital costs from pipeline, terminal, and geologic storage compressors between its 2020 target and its final target. It also expects to bring down the annual maintenance costs as a percentage of installed capital costs down from 6% in 2015 to 2% for the final target. Perhaps the tallest order falls on small compressors, which the DOE expects to achieve boosted availability, higher compressor-specific energy, lower uninstalled capital costs, lower maintenance costs, and the ability to last for more than 10 years. However, the DOE did say that the compressor lifetime assumes that routine maintenance is performed on the compressor, such as replacement of seals and valves at the service interval specified by the manufacturer. It also said compressor longevity is dependent on operator know-how, proper operation, and maintenance. Compressors are expected to achieve higher performance at lower cost to make hydrogen production, transportation, and storage scalable. The long road ahead. Three years ago, we saw what corporate environmental, social, and governance commitments and federal funding could do to kickstart the U.S. hydrogen economy. Today, we are seeing the beginning of real projects come to life. For these projects to succeed, advancements need to be made by the owners, operators, utilities, and original equipment manufacturers that are driving innovation in the hydrogen economy. There is also the need for competent service and support from the companies, organizations, and people devoted to fostering safe and effective hydrogen best practices. The hydrogen economy requires total buy-in. However, the dawn of a new hydrogen industry paired with growth from liquefied natural gas and renewable natural gas could lay the runway for multi-decade growth in the energy sector. The greatest risk isn't the funding itself and where it is allocated, but whether these projects end up creating a lasting impact in long-term jobs. Based on the presentations for each hydrogen hub, the total number of direct jobs created by the seven hubs 
is estimated to be 334,280 jobs, including 111,953 permanent jobs. Many of these jobs will be available to workers whose occupations have been displaced or are threatened by the energy transition. For the hydrogen economy to support future job growth, there needs to be advancements in hydrogen technology, machinery, equipment, and systems, as well as if these advancements are being used in new projects to reduce costs. At the end of the day, the success or failure of the hydrogen economy is all based on its economics. It took decades for renewable energy to be cost competitive with fossil fuels. Once hydrogen costs come down, the industry can thrive even without government subsidies. Now is the time to take advantage of the opportunities and funding available to accelerate the profitability of the hydrogen economy. Failure to do so could put the capital-intensive nature of the hydrogen economy in jeopardy and lead policymakers to pivot toward other options. MAN Compressors for Netherlands Carbon Capture Project by Brent Haight. The Port of Rotterdam CO2 Transport Hub and Offshore Storage, or Porthos Project, received its final investment decision in October 2023, clearing the path for the first large-scale carbon capture and storage project in the Netherlands to begin construction. Led by the Port of Rotterdam Authority, NG, Beheer Nederland BV, and NV Netherlands Gasuni, Porthos will store 2.5 MTPA of carbon dioxide in exhausted natural gas reservoirs under the North Sea. Construction of the Porthos infrastructure will start in January 2024, and the system is expected to be operational in 2026. What makes Porthos unique from other CCS projects is that the CO2 will be sourced from various companies in the Rotterdam port area, a region accounting for more than 16% of Dutch CO2 emissions. Porthos has signed agreements with Air Liquid, Air Products, ExxonMobil, and Shell. These companies will invest in their own capture installations to supply CO2 to Porthos. Porthos will feed the CO2 into a common pipeline that will run 18.6 miles through the port of Rotterdam to depleted gas fields offshore, where it will be permanently stored at a depth of 1.8 to 2.4 miles under the seabed. Onshore, the collective pipeline running through the Rotterdam port extends from the eastern end of Ode Mass in the Botlek area through the Europort area to a compressor station at Maasvlakte. The collected CO2 will flow in a gaseous state at a pressure of 507 psi through the 42-inch pipeline. Planned compression. MAN Energy Solutions will provide three integrally geared RG286 type compressor trains to the project with an order for two additional units at a later stage. The compressor trains will be located at a station on Mesvlakti, the western extension to Europort. There, the CO2 will be compressed to different discharge pressure levels with each compressor handling up to 250 tons of CO2 per hour. Offshore. From the compressor station, a 13.6-mile pipeline will transport the CO2 in gaseous form at a maximum pressure of 1885 PSI, offshore to the P18A platform in the North Sea. There, the CO2 will be pumped into the exhausted P18 gas fields at depths of 10,498 to 11,482 feet below the seafloor, which have a CO2 storage capacity of around 37 million tons. The former gas platform P18A will be reused to store CO2. The platform will be fitted with the facilities required to transport the collected CO2 to the injection wells. The collected CO2 will be stored in the pores of the sandstone substratum, which once contained natural gas that was hermetically trapped under high pressure between a non-permeable layer of cap rock and sealing plane faults. Once CO2 injection has been completed, when the reservoir is full at the correct final pressure, the wells will be sealed. We are extremely proud to be part of this pioneering project aimed at reducing CO2 emissions. 
Not only will Porthos play a vital role in propelling the Netherlands toward achieving net zero emissions, but the project is also innovative in its approach that aims at establishing a CO2 transport and storage infrastructure serving multiple companies, said Dr. Yu Laber, Chief Executive Officer of MAN Energy Solutions. Such game-changing initiatives are crucial in advancing CCS efforts and effectively reducing hard-to-abate emissions. Thanks for listening to the December 2023 edition of GCM on the Go. This month's reading is brought to you by Ultimate Chemicals. Ultimate Chemicals is the number one chemical and services resource for natural gas compression. Based in Moore, Oklahoma, Ultimate Chemicals produces its products right here in the U.S. The company offers a wide range of products specifically designed for the natural gas industry, including its renowned badass degreaser and the number one cooler cleaner, CC300. Ultimate Chemicals offers the most complete line of cooling system flushes. Ultimate Chemicals has the first and only online store featuring all their products for sale directly from ultimatechemicals.com in sizes ranging from one gallon to a 250 gallon tote. Ultimate Chemicals provides several on-site and in-place services for external fin fans, internal chemical circulation, and a variety of custom formulated chemical circulations for natural gas pipelines and gas plants. Visit ultimatechemicals.com to learn how Ultimate Chemicals can get your coolers clean while saving you time and money. That's ultimatechemicals.com. This episode is also sponsored by Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary. With more than 2,000 words and 200 illustrations, Kane's Rotating Machinery Dictionary is designed to help users quickly define and understand frequently used words within the rotating machinery industry. This resource is perfect for anyone needing to identify equipment, processes, and components. Learn more at canesdictionary.com. GCM on the Go is produced by Third Coast Publishing Group. Music by Wiggles and Shakes. I'm Danny Felber. Hi, I'm Brent, a producer of GCM on the Go. If you made it this far into the podcast, first and foremost, thank you. We appreciate you listening to the show. Second, be sure to check out Gas Compression Magazine. There's so much more than what you hear in this podcast. Feature articles contain detailed images, charts, tables, maps, and other visuals that they just don't translate to this format. You don't want to miss them. In addition, each issue of Gas Compression Magazine includes monthly columns like contracts and permits, machinery in motion, reliable compression, what went wrong, mergers and markets, hate report, in the news, and so much more. If you've not already done so, be sure to subscribe to the magazine. Not only will you get monthly delivery of Gas Compression Magazine for free, but you can also sign up to get our twice-monthly digital newsletter, receive free access to the GCM Resource Center, and tons of other benefits that come with subscribing. Print, digital, or both, it's always free to subscribe to Gas Compression Magazine. Visit www.gascompressionmagazine.com to learn more and to sign up.